Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Brad, that is maybe the most um, adorably terrible attempt at a studio setup that I've ever seen, and yet it's still better than what both Evan and I have. And I'm using our actual literal studio right now. All I wanted to do was block out that annoying light that was behind my head last episode, and this is the result. It's not bad. You just hammered, you literally hammered five nails into a beam above uh, or behind your head. <clears throat> and well, at yes. least you got some jerseys up there. So and all the jerseys that were behind our background when we recorded back here, I just moved them five feet that way. I got it. So uh, a fun game to play for anybody who's somehow still watching on YouTube uh, is identify the object in Brad's background. You'll notice Evan, who has like a, a streaming setup, has his blur background uh, functions on. Uh, Brad doesn't, but it might just appear the same <laughs> because of his um, 0.4 megapixel camera on his laptop. Oh, you look ridiculous when you blur your background. He looks like he's on a terrible green screen. Oh, Brad. If you're oh, talking, my God. That is terrible. You've muted yourself, Brad. Oh, well. And and now you know why I didn't. Yeah. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. This is our second remote, remote episode. Um, isolation is... I don't know, guys. I'm already losing it. I Today, I was like, I don't have to shave yet. It's not been three days. It's been nine. It's been nine days. I've actually lost track of days. This Nothing has been right. the quickest week of my life. How's it Thursday? I kept thinking today was Wednesday. And I was like, oh, I got lots of time to finish up stuff for the rest of the week. I do not. And in a sick way, I'm like sad about it. it was, I don't know. I usually look forward to the weekend so I can just chill and relax and spend some time at home. But that's all I do now. Weekends don't mean nearly as much. And it makes me very sad. I'm almost. Like, everything is closed too. I literally took Mika to the tennis court near our house um, this morning just to shoot some pucks around because they have hockey nets in there. They padlocked it. Can't even get in it. Ouch. Yikes. You've been going on like seven hour walks, eh? Oh, yeah. We. I'm trying to get out of the house as much as humanly possible while still maintaining absolutely zero contact with other humans, which is generally my game plan even outside of a quarantine. But now I'm not the weird guy avoiding eye contact in public, but it's it's something to do. We'll get to a breaking point when Evan starts to miss people. That's how we know the world has reached its like cracking point. Like he's It's about to boil over. Tomorrow night, we have our members meeting for the golf course I'm at, and that will determine how quickly I decide to end things. What do you mean members meeting? What are you guys going to do? So it's like usually there's like a every year there's like a meeting and it's just to talk about stuff going on at the course and when men's league starts and stuff like that. But this year it's basically like, when are we opening? When can we do anything? When can you do anything? How are you going to have this meeting? It's on Zoom. Oh, I was going to no say. Forget, so. <laughs> Sorry, they already have 900 all rich white dudes on one app. But oh, my God, I can't imagine the can you hear me now <laughs> that are going to be coming from that meeting. Yeah, there's everyone's going to be put on mute, they said. But there's going to be so many people still saying, can you hear me? Oh, can man. you hear me? Hello. Uh, I saw a tweet that was like, 
going off mute on a call is the new reply all, which is wrong. Both still exist, and it makes me very happy when it happens. I, love I need you're- Evan. I need you to take a screenshot of everybody just like two inches from their camera wincing trying to figure out what's going on this will entertain me for at least a week uh, i tried doing it but i'm lined into the actual camera not my laptop uh no one ever accused me of being smart all right on this episode of the winged wheel podcast uh we actually have a very exciting interview with um ryan stimson uh he's someone who we've wanted to have on for quite some time um as I mentioned in the actual interview, you'll hear it's not our, our most preferred instance, but um, we want to bring you guys some interesting content during this uh, league shutdown and <clears throat> practical worldwide quarantine. But before we get into that, I want to talk about a couple things. Um, again, we are recording these interviews remotely uh, due to the coronavirus self-isolation quarantine, whatever you want to call it or, or whatever uh, stage in that process you are. Um for health and safety reasons, we are going to be doing this alone for the next little while. Uh, you might notice today that we have these brand new mics. Um, hopefully our sound is a little better than the last episode where we just kind of had to use whatever we had laying around until these came in. Um, for those who are watching on YouTube, we are still uh, testing out better solutions. Um, thank you to everyone who's reached out with uh, suggestions for that. I have been taking them into account. Um, just testing those out. Not going to lie to you, uh, work has actually surprisingly been incredibly busy, so haven't had the time really to to perfect that, but we'll hopefully have it for future episodes. So for now, um, please forgive having fewer frames of Brad per second, uh, although I think that's a favor to you. Uh, in any case, most of you listen, and so the sound should hopefully be a little bit better. Don't be afraid to reach out with feedback on that, though. Um, we talked about something that we're going to do to try to help out uh, during this whole ordeal, which is to highlight uh, local Michigan businesses that are still running and operating uh, during this hard time, uh, mostly restaurants and things like that who are doing no contact uh, transactions, uh, takeaway. Uh, one that I would like to highlight that was passed along to us is Naked Burger in Clinton Township on Garfield Road. Um, it's a locally owned business that uh, everyone who I've talked to says uh, is incredible and deserves all the support they, they can get. So if you're in or around Clinton Township, uh, whether you want to order from them through uh, online delivery companies or if you want to get takeout, uh, please consider supporting them. Even if we can get one listener to um, order from Naked Burger, that would be a huge success for us. Whatever we can do to support local Michigan business. Again, that's Naked Burger in Clinton Township, uh, 43203 Garfield Road. Also, uh, someone who I've been wanting to highlight more, but we haven't uh, been because the table is not currently visible and I'm still putting together the release, but it's um, Daniel Rossi of RD Woodworking who built um, this custom podcast table that I'm sitting at. Uh, If you look at previous episodes, you'll see that it has our logo in it. It has the Red Wings logo. It's all beautiful. It's all custom built. Um, His handiwork, it lights up. It's insanely cool. Uh, Check out rdwoodworking.ca and see what Daniel might be able to do for you. All right, uh, you guys seem like you need a break, so let's cut to our interview with Ryan Stimson. Ryan is the author of this very cool book. It's called Tape to Space, Redefining uh, Modern Tactics, or sorry, Redefining Modern Hockey Tactics. Um, It's one of my favorite reads. It's one that I brought on vacation. I think everyone who is a hockey nerd should read it. Um, For those of you who are really interested in tactics, strats, systems, Um, It's an excellent, excellent resource. So without further ado, our interview with Ryan Stimson. 
Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast continued series of pseudo off-season interviews. Uh, this is one where not only have we wanted him on for a long time, I personally believe him to have uh, the best name around. Uh, welcome Ryan Stimson to the show. Appreciate that. That's, that's big high praise coming in from another Ryan, of course. So yeah, I it's, like that. I, I'm, I'm glad to find another one in the world. It's uh, the others just wouldn't understand. The other two hosts are named Brad and Evan, which are decidedly middle tier names. So it, it's yeah. good to to share the stage now. Uh, I do like I do like Evan though. We uh, my my wife and I we have two kids, and we waited until labor to find out if we we're having boys and girls. And if we had had a boy, we likely would have named one of them Evan. So I like Evan. Brad is I mean whatever. <laughs> Uh, you just want to you won over a lot of Winged Wheel podcast listeners with that one. There we go. Uh, all right. So the reason we wanted Ryan on um, is uh, he's a self-described hockey person. I love reading Twitter bios for the first time as I'm introing someone. Um, and yours is hilarious. It's just hockey person um, before getting into the other stuff. So uh, <laughs> not only do you contribute to hockey graphs, uh, but additionally, uh, you are the writers of one of my favorite um, hockey books that I am currently uh, working through, especially with this downtime, which is called Tape to Space, Redefining Modern Hockey Tactics. So tell us a little bit about that book. Sure. Uh, and I appreciate you you know, uh, reading through it and, and liking what you have so far. Be sure to let me know, um, you know, when you finish it, what you think. Um, but, uh, but no, so that book, it kind of came out of, you know, I had been writing for years and, uh, you know, I started writing about hockey and let's geez back in, I don't know, 2014, 2015, somewhere around then. Um, but you know, a lot of my work was always, I was always more fascinated by, how we can use data to better inform game strategy. And, and, and from there, it kind of became an extension of, you know, player evaluation and, and how well skills complement eat the other, uh, you know, what's a good way to kind of a uh, good synergy between players, what skills go better with others, how does that inform team tactics, and how do you measure that and ultimately arrive at a, a, a blueprint, if you will, for like, well, you know, we've done this analysis and this is how we want to play the game uh, and this is how we go about doing that. So so for a while, you know, I, I wrote and analyzed various aspects of the game using data, uh, some of it out there, you know, some of it collected by myself and, and many other wonderful people. Um, you know, now, Corey, I'm sure most of your listeners know who Corey Schneider is, who, who does a lot of great work and tracking um, so that people have this data to analyze. Uh and so it just kind of came through the the uh, output of a lot of these articles was different insights in how we can measure teams and how effective they were and how well they pre- predict- predicted scoring or goal suppression. And so I had all these ideas like, oh, well, we should, you know, should come up with a way with how we could, should play hockey based on these. And then ultimately I realized like, well, I don't really have the hockey background to write that book. So. So for about a year, I just dove into presentations and, and reading coaching books, uh, you know, attending conferences, uh, actually coached, got behind the bench and coached a local team um, for, for a season, um, went to some coaching seminars for through USA Hockey and just talked to a lot of people. Uh, and then I at that point, I was like, OK, well, I have a good base of knowledge uh, about the game now to kind of synthesize these two. Uh, schools of thought. And so that's what the book is. It's basically playing hockey, but 
using analysis that drive your tactical decisions. Now, it's not a secret that there tends to be a little bit of polarization, at least um, before you dive too deeply into things between the uh, quote-unquote old-school way of thinking uh, and then uh, any kind of modern approach, which is usually tied directly into analytics. Did you find a, a lot of friction when you uh, began to tie these two things together, or did that come more naturally to you um, as you start to explore a little bit of the background of the game with your analytical background? Yeah, I mean, there, there's always going to be a little bit of friction. Um, you know, when I coached, uh, you know, the gentleman that was the head coach, he's the one that, that wanted me to come in and, and, you know, show him some stuff and try out some stuff. He, he was great. Gave me a lot of freedom to, to try things and run them by him. And, you know, and then I found him kind of just, you know, jumping on and wanting to try new things too. And one of the other coaches we had was a little, a little more reserved and just, you know, like you hear a lot of the cliches about, um, you know, grit and compete and uh, making, you know, big hits or, you know, checks and things like that. And, uh, you know, kind of folks focusing on the wrong things. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, these are people that they're generally good people. You like them. And so, it can be frustrating that, um, you know, Hey, you're a good person. I like you, man, but you know, your ideas are just, they're so ancient and, and you're not even willing to, to try things and move forward. So, so you do run into that. Um, at the end of the day though, I think most coaches I've talked to, um, you know, coaches are natural analysts. They're always looking to kind of diagram, you know, what's going on and, uh, you know, try to find an advantage for their team. Uh, I just think a lot of, the history of hockey analysis when it comes to gameplay is just wrong and it's outdated. And a lot of it is just, you know, passed down from, you know, I learned this from my coach, so that's the way I'm going to do it. Right. And, and a lot of, you know, videos you see of coaches narrating play, it's, it's, it's all just isolated incidents like, Oh, well, you know, we got to get an angle. We got to get a stick on a puck and blah, blah, blah. It's like, all right, well, that's obvious, you know, but it just, it never goes deeper than that. And I think the discourse around, how the game is played and how analysts can enhance that analysis can enhance that is just, uh, just, it needs like a reworking. Uh, and again, that goes for, uh, you know, broadcasts, uh, you know, intermission reports, inter intermission analysis. I mean, the whole thing needs to be revamped. So it's, uh, on an individual level, I think a lot of coaches are interested and open to it. And I talk to coaches, I mean, geez, the book's been out for a year and a half now, practically. And every week there's a coach emailing me or wanting to talk about something or, asking for clips of something and um but you get people in a group like that and the game as a whole uh i think it's just it's a lot harder to break through at that level now uh some more broad questions here before we dive uh, a little bit and apologies in advance for this uh into the red wings and their systems um <laughs> do you find that uh, when you watch hockey now um you're seeing uh, any of what you discovered or maybe a lack thereof. And what do you do as Ryan Stimson when you're sitting watching a game on the couch? You're not, you know, trying to be analytical. You're just enjoying a drink and, and, and relaxing. Do you get frustrated seeing something that would have worked, but the team didn't deploy it? Or are you uh, pretty happy when you see something that uh, kind of ties into uh, your research and, and it results in a successful team? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that, like, you know, it's hard to just relax with a drink in hand and watch a hockey game. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people that, you know, get become comfortable with the analysis, like that's their thing. Uh, you know, the data, the numbers, that's how you, you view sports. Uh, I mean, obviously there's always an emotional and, and, you know, yes, uh, 
almost like a religious experience, you know, watching and cheering for sports and having that that feeling of sublime come over you when your team wins a championship game, whatever it is. Um, but by and large, like I think analytics can sometimes kill like your your fandom, you know, and, and can sometimes um, suck some of the life out of uh, just watching a casual game because you're instantly drawn to that of, well, no, don't do that. You know, you should do it like this. And um you know, sometimes you can turn off and just like, oh, yeah, I'm just watching hockey. But sometimes it's hard to. And and so when I see something that I know to be true and effective, then, yeah, I get very engaged in that because then I start paying attention on how, OK, what are they doing? Like, where are the players going away from the puck? Um, you know, I rarely, if ever, watch the puck carrier. I'm always more interested in watching where everybody else is on the ice and what they're doing. Uh, in terms of uh, having the life sucked out of you while watching a game, though not through the same method, you'll find a lot of solidarity on that one through uh, the listeners of this podcast. Uh, oh, for sure. I mean, I, I grew up with a <laughs> Devils fan, you know. And I'm, you oh know, yeah, s- still, still mostly a Devils fan, but I mean, they've been, I mean, they've been nothing for 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 forever. And growing up, they were always a, a solid team. Um, but uh, but but yeah, it, it can, uh, and I don't mean that as like a. A knock against analytics i think it just it changes how you view things because you're just you're questioning uh how what teams are doing and you know there are better ways to do it so you just naturally become frustrated when they don't do those things so uh knowing now that you're well versed in watching a team that maybe doesn't run things the right way or going through a tough stretch do you find it difficult like especially difficult to watch teams you know that are expected to be bad the obvious example here being the red wings um, do you ever watch what's happening on the ice and say, there's no system that's being applied here. Like this is just a mess or whatever system they're applying doesn't exactly work with the players they have. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it's, it's hard to do that. Um, because so many teams just are so similar across the league and you know, there's only like a handful of different, like four checks the teams will play. Um, you know, pretty much every team runs like, a variation of the same power play or variations of the same penalty kill. And so, you know, when someone says like, Oh, well, what system do they play? I'm like, well, you know, they play largely the same thing as everybody else. There might be some variations on something, uh, you know, mostly just where they have a player, uh, that other teams might not, but by and large, I think the NHL is so similar and, and coaching is so similar and conservative across the league that, I don't think many teams are really getting an edge um, from from their systems play. I mean, maybe like the Bruins a little bit, maybe the Lightning a little bit, but they also have very, very good players, so it's hard to separate that out. Uh, I think where you would most see uh, and most get value from like tactical play would be in special teams. And, and again, that comes back to, you know, everyone running a variation of a 1-3-1 uh, and you know, there might be a couple different options that they have, but by and large, they're, they're pretty similar. And so I think that that is an area where, you know, a, a team, even if a team is, is going through a rough stretch like the Red Wings, right? Like the Devils, like try something new. What do you have to lose, right? I mean, your team is going nowhere. I mean, the Red Wings had, what, last place locked up at Christmas, basically, right? So why not get out there and try some new things? And because no one's going to fire you if it doesn't work, because, I mean, if they're going to fire you, they're likely going to fire you already. So I don't know. It, it's hard to evaluate that because there's just very little variety. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, other sports that even fluid sports like soccer or basketball or lacrosse or something where teams might uh, be able to pick out 
uh, you know, different strategies that they can employ. And, and part of that is the game too. I mean, there's, it's so fast and chaotic and there's very little time to reset because of the boards. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's just difficult to pick that out sometimes. Now on the note of, of coaches trying new things or not, um, the coach that you described there in terms of, uh, you have nothing to lose fits perfectly with Jeff Blaschel. Uh, from whatever data you have and, and understanding that you have not wasted a lot of your time watching the Red Wings, which is a, a good thing for your health. Um, <laughs> from what you know, uh, does Blashill uh, fit in a certain mold of, you know, doesn't really try new things as kind of an old head or um, has tinkered with, with switching stuff up a little bit? Yeah, I mean, so I'm looking at like some data that that uh, Corey Schneider's collected, that, that me and a few people collected uh you know, earlier. Um, but he's been there since 2015, 2016, I think we, we talked about, right? Before we started recording. Yeah. 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 So it's 2015, 2016. So we've got data that kind of goes back to that, that time. Um, and so one of the things I look at really is, you know, in the offensive zone, what kind of passes are you making? Like, where are you making your passes from and where are you sending them to, um, to assist on like dangerous chances? And, you know, the Red Wings have been you know, like the bottom third of the league and what I call like a dangerous shot assist, basically a pass that comes from either behind the net or goes across the slot. And, you know, those, uh, there's some work that was done by a friend of mine, uh, Alan Wells, who writes uh, over at Raw Charge, you know, writes about the lightning, writes at Hockey Graphs. Um, he did some work kind of looking at, on the individual and at the team level, these plays really drove most of the signal in team scoring. You know, because if you're passing kind of in the perimeter, uh, you know, if you're passing into the slot or from other areas, not down low, there's, you know, chance of scoring, but just it's not a lot of the signal that we would look to. So uh, some of these plays are just, you know, if you make more of them, you're generally going to find a higher scoring team. And so the Red Wings have been pretty low uh, going back to 2015, 2016. I know Corey actually just tweeted out a picture of where everyone stood this year as far as like what percentage of their passes were high danger and what percentage of their passes kind of just went for shots from the point. Um, and the Red Wings were, were pretty bad at this aspect. Uh, I know, you know, Babcock thing in Toronto has been how uh, when Babcock was there, how many point shots they took. So it's fair to say that Blashill might have taken that philosophy over from Babcock and you know, you see a lot of coaches do this, right? Work the puck down low, cycle it back to the point, and then you take a shot. And while shooting necessarily isn't a bad choice, I think that is probably the worst type of shot, worst type of offensive sequence you can have because you're taking a shot from literally about as far away as you can. Chances are there's going to be at least one or two players, you know, between you and the goalie. And, you know, if you're cycling on the same side of the ice, there's probably not a lot of uh, goalie movement, you know, from east to west. So, yeah, I think the I'm looking at Corey's chart right now. He had the Red Wings about 21% of their uh, shot assists were involved point shots, and the league average is about 16%. So, so they're they're quite high. Uh, in their high danger passing plays, were just under 4%. League average is about eight. So basically, you're just getting a lot of quantity, very little quality. Part of that again is player skill, but you know, looking back at the data we have on them historically, you know, going back partial seasons since 2015, 2016, uh, we see a similar pattern. I mean, it's, it's just generally with teams that are bad offensively, you, you can probably find that a lot of their shots, their low shot locations are pretty bad. And that's directly related to 
passing and decision making, which can be systemic. All right. So um, another question that's come up quite a bit has been related to uh, defensemen, uh, their ability to break out and, and their offensive ability overall. Um, a lot of this relates to uh, draft stock. Um, I'm thinking back to the conversation when Red Wings fans couldn't imagine a world where Philip Zadina would fall to them. So the conversation was, is it Quinn Hughes or Evan Bouchard or uh, Adam Boakfist? Um, and there was different conversations about defensive ability versus offensive uh, dynamism. And, you know, there's a lot of re- revisionist history going on there. But uh, for those of us who have to eat crow, myself included, uh, we're watching Quinn Hughes um, with just shock and awe, not imagining he would ever turn out to be what he's been for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, has your exploration of, of systems and specifically what role defensemen plays uh, play um, kind of changed or informed you uh, in terms of that position on the ice like, or your opinion on that position on the ice? Is it better to cheat towards someone who's a little bit more dynamic offensively um, or is the idea of having someone who's a two-way defenseman uh, kind of the best bang for your buck? Um, I think, well, there's, there's a lot there. So let's, let's talk about this for a while. So I think, first of all, uh, I think just from like a draft standpoint, I don't know how high you should take defensemen to begin with. I, I think, um, I think by and large, you can probably go forward early just as a general rule and get more value. Um, I think defensemen are just really harder to evaluate like the situation you're talking about right now. Um, and so like, and I don't think anyone really thought Quinn Hughes might be that good because otherwise he would have gone higher, right? But I think generally forwards you can kind of peg uh, easier. So just from like a team standpoint, I think you're better off taking forwards higher, even if you have a need and then you're trading for established defensemen or take a chance on them later. But but regarding the question on you know what we can learn uh, from about or at least about that position. Uh, I, I did a study, this was probably like two years ago, maybe two or three years ago, um, on that position specifically and what led to higher goal scoring rates and, and better goal suppression rates. And it came down to what kind of uh, passing sequences they were on the ice for. So basically in transition, right? So, you know, one of the metrics I kind of came up with was, you know, percentage of like a, a player's controlled entries they were on the ice for that led to at least one pass because, I think entries in itself are misleading because just simply gaining an entry, yes, you'll get more shot, you'll get higher shot volume, but a lot of shots, like, I mean, how many times you watch a game and you see someone skate over the ice and they fire it from like 40, 50 feet away and it just leads to like a face off or something, or, you know, they miss high and wide. Like you see a lot of those shots that count towards the shot volume, but an entry without a subsequent pass in that possession is not a very good play. And, so unless that player can kind of take over and, and win a one-on-one battle with that backskating defenseman, uh, you know, and maneuver to a higher quality position, you're significantly better either taking it around the net, waiting for help, you know, delaying or cutting back, you know, dropping to a teammate or something like that. Um, and then on the other side, you know, I know a lot of talk is focused on the defending the blue line. And so which defensemen allow entries against them? And I think that's also a little short-sighted because there are certain defensemen that will give up the blue line. Uh, I know Ryan Suter is a good example of this in Minnesota. Give up the blue line, but then clamp down on you as you know you start to run out of ice and not really allow anything after that. And so when I looked at this, the defensive metric I kind of decided on because it had the highest signal was uh, 
looking at not necessarily the entries against, but the entry assists against. So how many entries is this defenseman allowing in which the player then makes a pass inside the offensive zone for a shot? Not just a shot, but just that higher quality play. So, so you can look at it kind of like, you know, defenseman A, what kind of, what number of entries do they allow that are lead to a shot assist, essentially. And so that had a higher signal as far as goal suppression defensively, far more than just than just regular entries. Uh, entries is a good field position metric, but, you know, if you want to improve a little bit, you know, in the margins there for your player evaluation, you know, that's, that's what I would look at. So to your question about a two-way player, someone who's heavily involved offensively, you know, however you want to uh, decide on these archetypes, I, I think what you want is you want players that, Excel in transition, uh, you know, maybe do a lot of the quiet plays, you know, that maybe you don't really see it, but just kind of facilitate moving that offense up. They don't always have to be joining the rush, um, but able to make the, those plays to spring the offense. Uh, but then also on their end, just kind of shutting things down once the puck does come in the zone. So it can be breaking up an entry. It can be positioning to deter a pass. Uh, but, you know, entries against isn't necessarily the end all be all. Uh, it's not really indicative of whether they're good or bad. It's just their personal preference. Like I'm going to give up the entry cause maybe I'm not the fastest skater, but I know once you get over here, over the blue line into the zone, I can kind of cut the ice in half and force you to work in that space, maybe above the face off dot to the boards, to the blue line. And I can kind of be over there as well and box you in and snuff out of play. Uh, that's all um, extremely interesting, and I think it's going to be good for discussion. Um, mm. As you can probably glean, is uh, most of it in terms of the Red Wings has been about the draft for the past three years or so. So, uh, sure, it's, yeah. it's good to have a little bit more material there. Um, now, just jumping back to coaching, uh, I'm not going to ask you. You know, is Blashill a good coach or a bad coach in your mind? I think there's enough of that going on around already. But uh, just in general, you touched on the fact that there's only so much the Red Wings can do because of personnel. Um, with that qualifier out there, how much or how impactful do you think a coach can be in terms of uh, you know how talented or how apt they are at deploying effective strategies? Can they be the difference maker in making sure a, a last place quality team can maybe crack you know 20 and above? Or is it more, like you mentioned before, just kind of something on the margins to maximize uh, your effort or get the, that little tiny... Um, sliver of an edge over a, another competing team yeah and that's a good question and that's i think a question that you know if you're interested in hockey analytics and want you know project to, to work on i think that's a good project for people i know michael blake mccurdy's done some stuff with with coaching impacts um and i you know i, I could be wrong here but i remember part of his conclusion was that offense you know might be more driven by players whereas defense and systems is more coach driven which, you know, could be true. Um, you know, I'm not really sure, uh, I guess, where I, I, I fall on that. But uh, I think in order for a coach to kind of maximize their impact, I think it has to be everywhere. I don't think you can pick just kind of one thing. You know, like, okay, we're going to focus on, you know, well, what's the line that you always hear coaches talking about, like late summer training camp and, you know, September is that we're going to play fast. We're going to carry the puck. We're going to, you know, you hear that every year. And, you know, maybe a few handful of teams actually do that, whereas others just kind of, you know, as soon as things go against them, they start changing their, their systems and get defensive and all of that. But I think, you know, being more creative with special teams play, 
I think uh, being more aggressive with on defensively uh, all over the ice. Um, you know, anytime, anytime a team sits back uh, and goes more of a conservative kind of like trap style or just more contain in the defensive zone, it just, it, you know, forces me to kind of change the channel sometimes. Uh, it's just, I, I think you're just giving up at that point. Um, I think you always have to plan to get the puck back. And that comes from an aggressive positioning, aggressive uh, defensive structure, um, you know, forecheck, uh, entry defense, that sort of thing. So, and then it comes down to the actual lines. And I know every, not, not every team, but uh, most teams' fan base, uh, you know, is inefficient with their lineup and, you know, how they dole out minutes uh, and, you know, how they structure their their units together, whether it's just looking at three forwards, whether it's just looking at two defensemen, whether it's looking at all five players. Um, you know, there's no reason you have to adhere to that structure, that three four, you know, a center, two wingers, two defensemen. Like, why do you have to do it that? Because it's always been done that way. Maybe your roster makeup needs a, a tweak, you know, not, and this isn't just like a, you know, 11 forward 7D kind of thing. It's, uh, you know, maybe we really have three defensemen that work in that type of role. And I, I think that's the other thing too, is too many times we look at players as positions and not just like what's their role like what do we need you know on this team to to break out well you know we need a player who can dig the puck out and can make a good first pass okay what does that look like and and from there like you know where do we want to get the puck to and you know where do we want players from like okay what players are excel at retrieving pucks and winning board battles and you know fast with the puck okay well we want those guys uh you know maybe coming through the middle of the ice and and you know, we want someone like a field stretcher, someone that's always near the opposing blue line and just kind of recycling back and then running new routes through the neutral zone to continually stretch and push them back. So I think when you, you start thinking about teams, how we want to do things, it's less about, well, we need three defensemen or I mean, three forwards, two defensemen, whereas we just have these specific roles we want to fill and which players give us the best opportunity to execute them. You know, when I when I was coaching, we were doing a passing drill from behind the net and it was just late in the season and come to find out like one of our best passers was a defenseman, but we never would have thought to put him down there because who wants their defenseman going down below the opposing blue line, right? Um, or opposing goal line. So that's when it was just like, all right, well, good. We're going to start doing some of that, you know, on special teams and it, it helped and it worked. And it's like, you know, you shouldn't have just forward drills or just defending drills, like put everybody everywhere because you might be able to unlock a skill or recognize a skill that a player has uh, and and use that for an advantage. So so I think all these things, they can have value in the margins. But I think at the end of the day, you know, in a league as tight as the NHL, I mean, these are all NHL players. Like, I don't think you can just say Blash Hill, oh, well, you know, you didn't have the best players, so you are you can basically just coach for a hobby. Like, no, they're still NHL players. Like, if you have a good analytics department, if you have a good coaching team, you can still be competitive and win. Um, these things do happen, but it, you know, I think we're probably talking about a handful of wins, you know, like above replacement every year, you know, maybe you win three, four, five more games with like a fully optimized coaching approach. Um, but you know, maybe it's more, maybe it's less. I don't know. It's just, I think that that kind of study is waiting to be done, but we don't really have a whole lot of different coaching styles to maybe conduct that analysis properly. So. It's a tough question to answer. If that long-winded response helped at all. Oh no, it it did, and um, I think I lied to you pre-show when I said I wasn't going to get too granular, and then I 
give you. <laughs> That's all right. I, I decided to make uh, uh, isolation life a little bit more interesting for you. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, it's the least I could do. Um, again, guys, I'm not kidding when I say that this book um, has been one of my favorite um, hockey reads. Um, I've talked to you about it before, but again, it's Tape to Space, Redefining Modern Hockey Tactics from Ryan Stimson. Uh, we're going to be giving away a copy of this book to one of our patrons uh, selected at random, uh, but I encourage everyone to go check it out. Uh, if you go to Ryan's uh, Twitter profile, RK underscore Stimp, uh, he has a link to the Amazon page uh, where you can buy it. Also, just look it up on Amazon as well. Uh, you can, again, catch Ryan on Twitter, uh, also an editor for Hockey Graphs. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much. Um, I hope the next time we talk, we have a little bit more uh, data to work with in the form of actual NHL games happening. But uh, appreciate you coming on. Yeah, anytime, Ryan. Appreciate it. All right. Welcome back. Uh, I'm still... I'll have to decide whether I want to uh, leave in Evan calling me dumb before we uh, or when I'm editing this <laughs> this episode. I'll never know because I'll never listen. So yeah, that's up that's to you. Absolutely true. Again, guys, that was Ryan Stimson. Um, really insightful conversation with him. Um, loved having him on. Definitely, like I mentioned, we're going to have him back once there's um, more to talk about. I think our initial plan was to bring him on uh, around the time where Blash Hill's contract was um, up to be decided based on that team option. Uh, the provision on that contract was uh, two weeks after the end of the season. And uh, we don't know when the end of the season is anymore. So we couldn't wait for that. Uh, again, his book, Tape to Space, really, really interesting. We'll be giving one away to a patron at random. So stay tuned. Next episode, we will announce that. Uh, in the meantime, thank you again, Ryan, for coming on. All right. Uh, some content. Sam Gagne has played six games for the Red Wings and has already cemented himself as a fan favorite. Did you guys see his uh, tweets about um, supporting Detroit? I did see that, um, which was obviously amazing to see. But correct me if I'm wrong. I believe I read a story either himself or someone in his family grew up a Red Wings fan. So it was a pretty um, happy transition for him, I guess you would call it, coming into Detroit. So it wouldn't be... If that is true, that would be overly surprising that he's so eager to help the community right away. But even if he's not, it's still an amazing thing to do. Yeah, so he's uh, he's partnered with Forgotten Harvest. Um, he's donating. For every dollar donated, uh, Forgotten Harvest can typically distribute $7 worth of groceries or four meals. So he's uh, making a donation, and he put that message out there for people to also try the same thing. And this is a guy who's come from... Uh, a different team in a different country, a different conference from the Red Wings and has ended up playing six games for Detroit, ate a dasher in the process in a hit that should have been suspended, but suspendable, but regardless, um, and is already doing this. So my instant thought was, I want this guy back. I don't care what his impact has on the team because next season is going to be a mess anyways, both for the Red Wings and the rest of the league. I want him back. Like that is... It is so easy to see why Edmonton fans love this guy so much. Well, we will need bodies for the roster, and he was our best option on the second power play unit in those six games, although that's more testament to the team than him. But he's a depth player who can play on your third, fourth line a handful of even strength minutes and then be actually effective on the power play. So given how boring and awful the Red Wings power play second unit was this year, I'm all for it. Now, uh, moving on to the actual season. So obviously there's no hockey content on right now. And 
as content creators ourselves, we feel the, the, the pinch to try and come up with stuff that's interesting, but also not too contrived. And this is not a, a hit on anyone else. I have so much admiration for people who are, are putting this stuff out. Um, do you guys enjoy, not enjoy, or not care about watching old games, like reruns of old games? I've been living on YouTube for the last two weeks whenever the kids are calm enough that I can actually focus on the TV. Uh, like we've said on this podcast before, A Wood is a godsend, especially in this quarantine. Um, it depends on the game because I know a bunch of outlets, or not a bunch, but a bunch of people were covering Game 7 of the 2009 Cup Finals uh, last week, and you could not pay me to ever rewatch that game. I literally turn the channel or mute it if they even show a highlight from that game. So not that, but I, I watch old games all the time, even non Detroit. Uh, I forget if it was TSN or Sportsnet, but the one morning while I was eating breakfast, they were replaying game two of the 93 cup finals when Desjardins had the hat trick and um, they called Marty McSorley for the illegal stick. And that was super fun to watch. I, I love watching old hockey just for the contrast compared to today's hockey and how different it was. Like I'm amazed when I go back and watch old games that they even bothered putting the term hooking in the rule book because it was open season and yeah, it was, it, I love it. I don't know. I think it's because they started with that Oh nine content. I was like, no, I'm not, I can't watch this. It actually still causes me pain. Like I, I remember how distressed I was in that moment and everything that I felt and thought about the series. And anytime I look back, I'm like, no, this is the exact same feeling. I don't want to watch this. I can't watch Chris Osgood just drop the ball on the last game that mattered. I can't, I, I can't do it. I can't watch that crossbar. I can't watch that flurry saves. I don't know. Maybe it's put me off. I'll have to start watching something at some point. But yeah, I've been more on like highlight reel videos. It really makes you appreciate Pavel Datsuk in retrospect. It does. And this this is when you were talking there about all the specifics from that game. I don't remember anything what you were talking about because I've not watched one second of anything from it since 2000, June 2009. So the crossbar you're talking about, I have no idea. So you actually haven't watched since 09? No, I no, I literally can't. I why I try to enjoy life. That's kind of my purpose so why in the hell would i ever ever go back and watch a highlight from that game there is literally nothing to incentivize me to watch that game to want to watch that game someone would have to cut me a very hefty check to ever watch that game again well uh on that note let's move on to a question that the uh, nhl put out which was I think on like a Twitter poll or an online poll or something. And it was, um, who's the greatest goal scorer of all time. So they did a bracket kind of like how we've been doing like fake March madness brackets for like the best fourth overall pick or best third overall pick, uh, spoilers for that bracket. Alex Ovechkin eventually won. Um, it was Ovechkin versus Lemieux because the way it was set up, uh, Gretzky was in Ovechkin's, uh, half of the bracket. And so Ovechkin beat Gretzky earlier on and it, it raised, I think an appropriate amount of contest. I personally think Ovechkin's already the greatest goal scorer of all time, but I don't think it's crazy to think otherwise. Um, 
Brad, I know you brought up someone else very specific and we'll get to that, but what do you guys think? Just like off the top of your head, is it definitely, definitely, definitely Ovechkin? Is it not? Or is it like kind of a, a contested thing in your mind? It will never not be contested because it's so subjective because of how different the eras of hockey have been. Like I said, I've been watching a lot of old hockey. I'm positive that if you took Evan as he is now as a hockey player and dropped him in the eighties, he's getting 40. Oh like yeah, for sure. It's so it's, it's very tough. That's why I love the era adjusted stats. And when you read era adjusted, Ovechkin generally comes out on the top of most lists, depending how you break it down. Um, he did a lot of this through the second dead puck era. He's consistent. He's in his mid thirties and only played what 60 something games before the season basically ended this year and was one or two goals away from another 50 goal season. The man is a freak. Now there's obviously a ton of players on this list. I've got it up in front of me now who are so, so good. And you could definitely make arguments for the Mike bossies of the world. Like, um, just looking here, uh, Phil Esposito, uh, Marcel Dion, they were all great, but, the only other guys that I would give serious credence to taking uh, Ovechkin's crown would probably be actually, you know what? There's really only one that I, I think from a pure talent standpoint comes close to Ovechkin in the goal scoring front. And that was who he played in the finals in this matchup, which was Mario Lemieux because much like um, some other players whose career got derailed by injuries, his raw totals don't look as mind blowing as some other guys because he, he won a scoring title in a year. He came back from cancer treatment. His per game numbers were not far off Gretzky and they were even higher on the goal scoring front, but he didn't have the benefit of starting in the early eighties. If, if Mary Lemieux was the exact same age as Wayne Gretzky and stayed as healthy as Gretzky did, he would have the goal record. I have no doubt in my mind about that. I don't think he touches Gretzky's points, but he would have been pretty close but Ovechkin is the goat. Lemieux's very close. And I think Brett Hall gets really slept on in this conversation because if you go by the era adjusted stats, he has the single se- single greatest goal scoring season of all time. And people don't realize that when he put up 86 and I want to say it was 92. Hall was at like the end of his career and he was still one of the most deadly threats from the slot if he had the puck in his wheelhouse, which he did because uh, they put him on a line with a, a little known player called Pavel Datsuk. So that was At the time. Uh, it was actually little known. Yeah, it was uh, two kids in an old goat line. I miss Boyd Devereaux. I miss him too. He lives uh, in our, t- our, our city. You can just call him up anytime. Well, I mean, you can call anyone up at any time. We just can't go see him right now. Oh, that's all right. I'm sure he wouldn't want three random people showing up at his house. Especially us. <laughs> Let's play. Is Evan describing someone else or himself? Both. Um, I like. You're not wrong to say Lemieux probably has the best case, but I think someone like another version of Brad can sit here and say Gretzky for the same reasons, or or Brett Hall for the same reasons, or or Trotchy or Bossy or whoever. Um, but just when you see what Ovechkin does, like this is how good Ovechkin is. At scoring goals what brad just said about uh brett hall is entirely true like era adjusted he was the guy who was at the forefront of this conversation which is if it's not gretzky or lemieux then who and ovechkin came in and practically wiped that memory out of people's heads 
like just almost instantly it was like oh no this guy is it this guy's the real deal um go ahead and i know the one thing i want to touch on with ovechkin because the argument i get all the time if someone disagrees with me on ovechkin is yeah but he just scores in one way how like who cares he just stands in his spots and blasts one-timers a look at his heat map of where his goals come from yes most of them come from there but he still scores in a variety of other ways and in his younger days he was all over the place with how he scored goals remember the one on montreal where he was falling on his ass on a half breakaway he can score in a million different ways but even ignoring that his one timer is arguably one of the single greatest skills any nhl player has ever ever had if you could pick one player's one skill it might be ovechkin's one-timer above every other player ever to have the best advantage over your opponents he gets it off with power he gets it off with accuracy and he gets it off fast he doesn't need a lot of time to wind up and let that thing go it's hard enough for nhl players to hit a one-timer and just hit the net forget full power forget with accuracy in a corner and everybody jokes too that, oh, well, he just stands in one spot. Well, if he only ever stood in one spot, he'd be very easy to defend. But the thing is, he goes up and down at the right times and finds those soft spots at the right time, which in and of itself is a skill. Sometimes he stands perfectly still because he knows the defense isn't coming anywhere near him. He knows where the play is. He knows how this play is breaking down. He knows how that defense or that penalty kill is structured. He knows he's good there. He'll see him get a lot of backdoor goals because if they overcompensate high, he just runs in for the backdoor player, the rebound. He is maybe the smartest goal scorer of all time in terms of finding those areas. I think Brett Hull's about on par with him in that uh, from that standpoint, but his one timer, I can't stress enough how truly unique it is. Everybody has a one timer. His is better than everybody else's, and it's not close. I'm not sure Val Philpola has a one timer. I think every time he tries to shoot a one timer, it just like bounces off his heel or he misses it or something like that. Is it Philpola who always misses his one timers? I can't remember. Philpola doesn't have a shot. He just accidentally passes it into the net sometimes. Philpola has shot four times this year for your information <laughs> and, I, and i think three of them went in yeah <laughs> he's the greatest shooter in the history of hockey i remember before closer to the beginning of the season uh Prashanth was doing uh was running some kind of uh analysis and he he was just messing about because he's trying to learn a, a function and i'm not nearly smart enough to either remember or speak to what he was doing um but he pulled up a list of like efficient shooters who uh missed out by not shooting more and like phil below was on that list it's like over the course of his career, Phil Blow really should have been shooting more. And did we not see that this year with how much uh, he's like how much he was uh, effective just in the most random ways? Uh, was it the 08 Cup Finals? I want to say it was game two. Remember that goal Phil Blow had coming wide around the defenseman, pulled the Zetterberg move backhand under the defenseman stick and then flying through the air like Bob Yor tucked it behind Marc-Andre Fleury? Mm hmm. We were all so stunned by that in 08 because he didn't shoot back then. <laughs> Here it's, we are a dozen years later. That goal might be my single favorite Red Wings goal of the last 15, 20 years. And it came from the most unlikely source. It was Philpla who scored that overtime goal against Anaheim, right? Where he pulled it quickly, like backhand bar down. Or was he the one who made the pass? He made the pass. Nyquist put it in. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. 
I think um, that was Nyquist's first playoff goal, career playoff goal too. Yeah, and I loved Anaheim. Like Detroit and Anaheim went back and forth in the playoffs a few times, but Anaheim was always just on the losing end of so many like dramatic wings moments. It was nice to see. Uh, all right, OT winner in Game Six. Cleary pushing the puck in by way of uh, the pads. Whose pads was that? Gears pads. Uh, no, that was Jonas Hiller. Hiller, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's good stuff. All right, we're gonna get to our uh, our draft content. We're gonna start off with uh, today's preview. Uh, we are going to do uh, the preview of a Western Hockey League uh, centerman by the name of Connor Zeri. Uh, so, uh, Brad, how about you kick us off and tell us about uh, this two way center who's around the ten ish range on some people's lists? So Zeri's actually a super interesting prospect because much like uh, Marco Rossi and a bunch of others in the top 10, he's a late uh, birthday. So he's actually in his third season in the WHL. So he's, he's almost a year older than a lot of this draft uh, put up 86 points in 57 games as a air quotations, two way center in the WHL. Um, some questions about his foot speed, but zero questions about his hockey IQ. The dude is a driver at both ends of the ice. The only concern with him in, as a top 10 pick and why he's probably not going to land in my top 10 is he's not putting up Marco Rossi numbers as an overager. 86 and 57 is eye popping, but uh, guys like Rossi and Perfetti are well over the 100 point mark already. Um, before the season shut down. But if you go back to his 1819 uh, season, which would have been his his true draft year had he not been a late birthday, he was still over a point per game. And he's always been pretty evenly distributed goals to assist so he can drive play in whatever means he needs. He is a very, very skilled player that I think is one of the, I hate this term, less risky picks in the draft because he is so versatile. You know, he's going to play in the NHL at least should because he can fill numerous roles. So if you need him on your third line or your first line, he'll be able to do it. And again, he's not that I didn't have mentioned yet, but he's six feet tall. So he's not tiny either, which is going to play in his favor. But yeah, he's, I really, really like the prospect. I don't see Detroit reaching for him and I don't see Detroit him falling to Detroit, but in the second round, but hey, stranger things have happened. Um, but yeah, I, I really, really like this prospect. Um, and I think any team that gets him out of the top 10 is going to be getting really good value. Does he strike you almost, not in terms of play style, but in terms of value around that pick as an Alex Newhook kind of guy who's got a lot going for him, but was both a victim to maybe some of his deficiencies being possibly overblown and just having a ton of talent ahead of him? Because Newhook was great value for Colorado. It's not quite the same because one of Newhook's strengths is one of Zary's uh, perceived weaknesses. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, not in terms of play style, though. Yeah, which is... But the thing is, Zary's skating comes into question a lot. And that's one of the biggest things NHL teams look for. So I don't want to say it's apples to apples because with Newhook, skating being a strength of his didn't really worry teams as much as his, def uh, his other deficient, his other, his deficiencies. Um, so I, I think there'll be a bit more of a question mark next to Zary's name just because of that. Um, but that being said, Newhook fell all the way to 16. I'll be thoroughly surprised if Zary makes it to 16, but you never know. Evan, what do you make of him? Um, I think that covers it pretty well. Um, Everything you read about him, it's basically uh, 
jack of all trades, master of none, uh, but will definitely be at least the top three uh, centermen uh, in the NHL somewhere. Um, I was watching while you guys were talking a bunch of like his highlights and whatnot, um, and he's actually got really good hands. Um, his shot's okay. Um, he's actually got a really good first step, actually. So I don't think he's got great speed, but that first step can can really help separate players at at the higher levels. So he looks like a strong kid. So you know, with a with a good NHL skating coach and a good strength coach, his skating may actually be able to improve. So if a team doesn't want to take a risk. He's the guy to pick. And I guess it all really depends on where teams value him. Looking at different scouting reports, he could go anywhere from like 9 to 25, it, it looks like. So I'd expect a guy with tool with well-rounded tools like that to go top 15 for sure. Uh, his highlight reels look really good. Yeah, everything that these guys are describing is like perfectly accurate. And it just, to me, screams... This guy could be that quintessential, um, greater than the sum of your parts player. Um, not that his individual parts or aspects are weak. Like, like Evan mentioned, he's got sick hands. Brad talked about his eye, hockey IQ and his vision, which are genuinely very, very good. Um, and there has been noted development in his skating in what uh, Evan mentioned, which was like his first step. So like his top speed and his overall skating is still. Some some people will say it's average. Some people will say it's like he's turned it into advantage. Some will say it's still not good enough. Uh, but at least he's working on it. And you add that to some really other great components. Like, yeah, this guy to me says, sure, he might turn out to be a third-line center who can still produce sometimes. And if that's your worst case, I'm thrilled to get that in the, in the 10 to 15 range because that means you have a guy who could also play up on your second line or – you want to go pie in the sky even more. Like, is this a center who does, uh, who plays great hockey at both ends of the ice? Um, there's a hole in his game, and it's admittedly a big one. But if if he can, to, in coach and scout speak here, put it all together, it's not even a risk, but it could still turn out to be a home run swing. You know, it, it, he'll be, I think, a very popular uh, draft pick. I'd be surprised. I, I agree. I'd be surprised if he he drops past fifteen here. I was reading another uh, quote from his coach, and he said his uh, Zari's greatest skill is actually his work ethic. So, for someone to come out and say that, um, that would help any teams that are kind of questioning whether he's the the right pick for them. By God, that's the Red Wings organization's music. That I is know. Just like... that was, I didn't want to say it, but I was thinking it. it Brad, when you said. Uh... And obviously, he won't be the Red Wings pick. All I can think of is we can't, we literally can't say that statement anymore. We don't know. We don't know. And with, and with the first overall pick, the Detroit Red Wings select from the Kamloops Blazers. Oh my God, we foresaw it. <laughs> it's the prophecy is self fulfilling. Let's not meme it into existence. Although we are in silly season right now, not just for draft stuff, but because, you know, the whole world as well. Um, all right. We are going to head into overtime now um, and take questions from our patrons. This is a midweek episode, so it's Patreon exclusive. A little bit of a shorter episode uh, for this one, but on Sunday, we're going to do some longer recording because we are going to record a couple Patreon exclusives, uh, which we'll be dropping over the course of this uh, quarantine, self-isolation, whatever we want to call it. So I'll load up these uh, comments 
And we are going to start out with dun, 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 Disciple of the Supreme Leader Evan. <laughs> Jonathan Willis just wrote an article on The Athletic about ranking NHL broadcasting. Who is your favorite broadcasting team that's not the Red Wings? Ah, uh, that's an interesting one. Not Boston. Um, yeah, now that uh, oh, Bob no Cole's kidding. retired. I was yeah. going to say Bob Cole, but yeah. Uh, I really like Jim Houston. If we're talking national broadcasts, I know Chris Cuthbert does a lot of the NBC national games in the States, and he's still one of my favorites uh, team by team, like team broadcasting ones are hard to pin down because obviously we don't watch a ton of other broadcasts from the ones I do catch. I really like uh, Washington and Carolina's broadcasts. I could I like, not tell you the names of any of them at this point, but I, I, I know I enjoy their their calls. I like Carolina's as well. I find that Vegas has an entertaining one also. Yeah, Vegas is good. And that might just be because I tend to watch a lot of Vegas games because I like watching Vegas if it's not the Red Wings. Um, no, I, I agree, though. Carolina, I, I enjoy. There's been a couple times where um, I'll watch them as well because they've been a fun team to watch lately, and I thought they'd do a good job. Um yeah, I, I like some of the national ones. I think the moment you get into like the B team or like, not to name names, but someone who uh, his name rhymes with Mike Milbury, um, those broadcasts kind of are like, makes you want to pull your hair out. Really, the NBC, like whenever the NBC did a, a, a hockey, like a hockey feature, like a Sunday afternoon game on the Red Wings, like this iteration of the Red Wings, you're like, why, bro? <laughs> no one wanted this. Nothing good, good is going to happen. Let's just please let us have Ken and Mick. I still think Detroit's is the best. I know I'm, I'm biased, but I still think Detroit's is the best. It's like the best balance of entertainment and just that nice little bit of bias that you want from your hometown broadcaster, but at the same time, uh, putting out like a good product out there and not being a complete homer. Honorable mentions go to St. Louis and Dallas. Yeah, those are two very good ones as well. Uh, Joseph Delia says, hey, Dub Dub, let's say TSN or Sportsnet offered you guys a full-time podcast that paid enough for you to quit your job, but it's a Leafs podcast, and in the contract, you can't talk or cheer for the wings anymore. Are you taking it? And if not, how much money would it cost? Thanks, my dudes, and stay safe, everyone. It would cost a lot. Uh, the whole reason I enjoy this podcast is because I get to do it as a fan. I, I've, I've thought about that often, actually. I, I will never be able to approach the game of hockey as anything but a fan. I, I try my best to be objective and, and take my obvious biases out of it when I when I try to form opinions in my head because I know being a Red Wings fan, I'm always going to look through red-colored glasses first. Um, but yeah, it's the whole fun of sports is being a fan. I, I understand that like national reporters and stuff like that, they have to go into it objectively. They cannot be fans. And I get that and I respect that, but I personally could never do it. That being said, if you wanted me to do it as a job, sure. If they paid me enough money, obviously I can go cover the Leafs. Sure. No problem. I wouldn't have the same enthusiasm as I do for this, but you know, if I if I have to work eight hours a day, ten hours a day covering the Leafs, and in my downtime watch Red Wings games and and cheer without posting on Twitter, so be it. I I obviously wouldn't say no to that. That'd be a great great career opportunity. Um, but no, I would. It would cost a lot because I'd much rather do it for the Red Wings as a fan. Yeah, pretty much. We accidentally created the dream scenario for ourselves here. Uh. 
And we are incredibly lucky to be able to do this podcast and have it be about the Red Wings. So it would take a quite a big incentive to pull us away from this. And realistically, we'd have to beat Evan's salary uh, in real life, which is, I think, just north of $732 million a year. Um, I looked at his last uh, income tax statement. So There are a lot of commas. I looked at it, and it actually just said, you're too poor to be reading this. <laughs> uh terry says good day dud duds terry here i've recently discovered you duds have a big fan that goes by the name of rowan <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if you brought him up to your talkie show better yet how about one of your patrons seems like a grand idea to connect with your fan base anywho i'm about to have a dinner date with a woman named carol hope it'll end well for me <laughs> did you guys see that uh joe exotic has coronavirus no i mean does I, he really I, or is that just something he said uh, some news outlet was reporting it. I read it 30 seconds before I, I got into this call. So I have zero background on who reported this, why it happened, how it got out. But I just saw the headline and I was like, oh, of course he does. If it was going to happen to anybody in prison, it would be him. It's quarantine, baby. There ain't no rules. It doesn't matter <laughs> if it's real or not. You don't need sources. You don't need sources right now. All you fake rumor accounts, go make up your trades. You don't need a source right now. It's quarantine. Maria says, hi, guys, got this in um, late a few threads ago, but somehow this solution has yet to be proposed. Clearly, the way to finish the season is with an all pet league. This is a phenomenal idea already. Reputable sources at hourly NHL rabbit rumors biz have long been suggesting that the wings may be looking to acquire these two free agents to slot in on defense. And it's a picture of uh, two adorable rabbits um, next to a Red Wings jersey that looks like a I can't tell. It's either a 10 or a 40. Let's say 40. Let's say it's a Hank jersey. They have been criticized for lacking size and opposable thumbs, but they make up for it with their speed, locker room presence, and Michigan per 60. Plus, they're willing to accept league minimum pay and dry cranberries. <laughs> Please provide an insider scouting report on each of your pets. Will Abby be the new Abby of the Red Wings? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. She's big, big and useless. She, oh, she's, she's Erickson, isn't she? People like her a lot, but then I'm sitting here saying she's not that great. You guys want to know something she did yesterday? Uh, asleep on her bed, Mel crinkled a bag of chips, and Abby was in a dead sleep. That was the most horrifying noise in the world. She jumped up because she thought there was something to be scared of. And you want to know what she did? She sprinted out of the room. We have a 100-pound dog in our house, and for what? She's going to be useless in a home invasion. She'll point them to the, the silverware and then where we're hiding. Stupid dog. She will be the, the the big dumb hulking defenseman of the of the team. Uh so yeah, my dogs, let's see. Good scouting report. Uh Demon, exceptionally fast, uh pretty old, uh doesn't really particularly have a plan when he ends up where he's going. So I'm gonna say he's the Darren Helm of dogs. And then Ollie's just a big meathead who's an idiot and doesn't do much. So pick any goon that lost most of his fights from the 90s. Evan, who's uh, who's Fred? Uh, is there anyone who sleeps all day and meows 30 minutes before your alarm clock goes off every morning? Uh, it kind of seems like a Tyler Bertuzzi, honestly. No, that's uh my cat has just as many teeth. There you go. All right, this next uh, this is a very Evan centric uh Patreon overtime uh section. This next comment is from Kevin Bobslinger. 
says, sorry, what was that? I wasn't paying attention. I was busy thinking about going on a heater at golf. Hey, remember at the start of the, all this virus thingy when dummy Evan went out to a bar because it won't affect me and then he had to self-isolate like an idiot? It's up there when... I'm fine. It's up there with when he went snowboarding and got in the way of that innocent road user and totaled his girlfriend's car. He's beginning to make Brad I look... I got hit. <laughs> He's beginning to make Brad look good and that's pretty scary. Anyways, go back to being tired and not paying attention, bud. Non-hockey related, but Coursera.org have opened up a lot of their online or- courses, which can be accessed for free. I don't care for your no free ads policy here and I doubt Evan is even paying attention. Anyways, nope. it's a good opportunity to skill and burn up some time. To upskill and burn some time. Hockey related. Only two more games left in the season at Toronto and then home versus Tampa. The meetup should be fun. Then the playoffs start. Give me your preferred Stanley Cup final matchup and why is it the Cinderella story? Hot dog team versus the Orange Wings. Flyers versus Coyotes? No. That doesn't hot make dog team. Kessel plays for the Coyotes, so that would have to be the hot dog team. Yeah, yeah. Flyers versus Coyotes doesn't make sense. I was being stupid for a second. Uh, um... This is my Canadian bias coming out because, but uh, up here it gets nuts anytime a Canadian team gets on a run. Um, so if if there was a reality where we could have an all Canadian final that isn't the Leafs, I'm here for it. But I'm not holding my breath with Montreal. So, uh, my dream final right now. Uh, let Athens see you get his cup. So I'll say Edmonton from the West, and then I don't know who would be a fun story in the Carolina. Yeah, let's redo the 06 finals. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Yes. That's a good there one. There it is. Uh, there's my dream final this year. Jersey time. Of all the genuinely short-tenured Red Wings players, whose jersey would be the coolest to own? Think trade deadline acquisitions that played out the balance of the year, prospects that had a shot, or one-year wonder at a stretch. Let's cap it at 82 games played for the Wings. Stay hygienic and fresh, your cheese bags. Sam Gagne. <sighs> That's a good answer. I've always been fond of Mike Madonna. Everyone, the more I think about it, the more I, I guess it's because as a Red Wings fan, I didn't think it was that weird. I really loved Mike Madonna in a Red Wings jersey. I thought that was cool. Oh, Alfredson. Alfredson's a cool one. Alfredson was actually good with the Red yeah. Wings. So that would that would be a really fun one. And then just uh, for funsies, you could get a Dan Cleary 71 jersey to put next to it. Oh, that would be people would be so confused uh harun khan says hey boys birthdays in quarantine are boring hey, sorry man but happy birthday uh i was going to the leafs game on it but i guess i'll have to wait anyways my question is if the red wings drop to fourth does it make sense to trade down for more assets and maybe just pick uh askarov not for askarov but it depends on what the assets are like if we're talking like another top 10 pick i don't know I don't know. It's all in the eye of the beholder because as I've talked about on on this podcast before, I have a pretty defined top four right now in terms of my preference and prospects. So it would cost a lot for me to pass up on a Stutzla or a Raymond. Um, I, I mean, if you're only going down a few spots and they're offering you a King's Ransom, of course you do it. But the thing is, teams don't trade up in the top 10 anymore. I can't even remember the last time it happened because everybody knows that you're going to get decent value there and it's not worth giving up the farm just to move up a few spots. 
Uh, Connor Leighton says, hey, fellas, was going to post a story about traveling down to D.C. just in time to watch the season get postponed. Day of the game, we traveled to see, but that would be a sad story, and I think I possibly missed seeing Abby's first goal of the season. Anyways, for the first four or five possible draft picks, where do you think they play next year, and do they see any NHL time? Thanks again for the content. Go Wings and go Cats. That's an interesting question, actually. Um, Let's assume top five is some variation of uh, Lafreniere, Byfield, Stutzla, Raymond, Rossi. Everyone comfortable with that? Sure. I think the only people who see real NHL time are Lafreniere and Byfield. I'll say Lafreniere is a lock. I'll give Byfield a 70-30. His late se- he's, he's a late birthday, like an August birthday, and... He missed the last uh, a good chunk of the season with an injury, so I don't know if uh, that's going to impact his development at all. Um, and then you put in the fact that he really can't play any hockey until whenever this quarantine's lifted, so that's going to throw a wrench into everything. I think Lafreniere is the only lock. I think Byfield's likely, and I don't like anybody else's chances. Stutzel's coming over from Germany, so he'll need adjustment time. Rossi's small. He'll be small forever. Like It's not like he's light, but he's small, so I think he'll definitely need that intermediary step. Although, can he is the question. Is he? Will he have to be in the O next year? Can he play in the A next year? Uh, I think he's already said he's not going to return to the OHL. I think the plan was if he doesn't make his NHL team, Europe. Yeah, so he'll he'll likely need some time to adjust playing against men, and I think there's no chance with Raymond. Um, not that it's a bad thing for him; it's just he, I think he would need also that intermediary step before he cracks it. Not to say that these players couldn't play nine games, um, but in terms of being like an actual NHL roster player, yeah, I think it's Lafreniere, yes, Byfield, maybe too probably. John Evans says, hey, guys, greetings from Ohio. Hearing your discussion of overrated Red Wings, surprised Damian Bruner didn't make the list. Shined with Zetterberg and Datsuk, got paid in New Jersey, and flamed out quickly. Was he not mentioned because his stay was so short it didn't even get remembered? How did we forget Bruner? But he was useful as a Red Wing. He didn't flame out until he left Detroit. I enjoyed Bruner for that one season he was here. He scored an overtime goal in the playoffs. Damian Bruner, Vili Leno, both were like the same kind of archetype of like really weird how successful they were with Detroit, cashed in elsewhere when they wanted too much from Detroit. And Detroit was like, no, we can make anyone into a 20-goal scorer. Here's just an applicator. Um, and then they their careers fizzled out. Well, Leno was good in Philly still, at least. It was when he went to Buffalo that it went off the rails. Which That's what happens can, with everybody, though. Yeah, you can apply that, that statement to a lot of people. Uh, all right. With that, we're going to wrap up this uh, midweek episode of the Wing to Bill podcast. Uh, for those of you who have been sending us uh, Twitter DMs and uh, messages through our contact form on uh, the website, apologies for not getting back to you. Things have just been a little nuts uh, lately at home, but hopefully going to find some time within the next day or two to respond. So apologies on that. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone for still tuning in. If you guys have an idea of some fun quarantine content that you want, more of those uh march madness brackets any kind of insight you want for either patreon exclusive or regular episodes uh give us a shout we'd love to hear from you i'd like to thank all of our listeners our name level sponsors terry curtis laprise brad smith andrew bohan arjun shaker scott martin kayla thompson jacob turner matt mckay b diz 
Matthew M. Rice, uh, Luke Johnson, Mike Reed, Ryan Lewis, Langabeer, Clayton Van Dyken, Kalen Wood, Hassam Al-Kassem, Arjun Shanker again, uh, Charlie Elkins, Hannah Lee, Sean Levine, Ashley Van Conant, Chris Frank, Connor Leighton, Danny Jr., Matthew Keeler, Craig Kibble, Simon Anderson, John Evans, Kwaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all so much. Uh, we love you. Stay safe. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.